0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Everybody, welcome to the show. This is the Pop Rocks Radio Talk Show. I'm your host, Pop Art Painter, Jamie Rocks, and this is the big show. You found it. i sure I'm glad you did. Very, very cool. I am super excited for today's episode. We, um, we originally were originally going to do this before, and then I got sick and everything. We had to move a bunch of shows, but I'm glad in a way that that happened um, because, you know, I, I just really wanted to waste our guest's time. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I totally did not want to do that. But I was able to rewatch the show a second time, the movie a second time, and um, it's even better the second time. It's even better the second time. Um, we've got a fantastic, he, uh, he co-wrote this, directed it, he stars in it. Um, Mr. Brett Latta
2: is on with us today,
1: and the name of the new you movie. You got it, man. Most, uh,
2: most people get it wrong it. the first time, but you got it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's the Andy Baker tape. This is a cool film, man. Brett, this is an awesome film. I loved it.
2: Thanks, man. Yeah, we had so much fun doing this, and I'm just glad that now it's finally out there and and the world can kind of see what we created in 2020.
1: That's amazing. And uh, for those who don't know, there was a little thing happening um, in in 2020, the the global pandemic, (laughs) um, while the rest of us were... Starting organic gardens in our backyard and baking sourdough bread. Brett knocked it out of the park. Got some friends together and uh, yeah, we,
2: we 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 tried. You know, you know I got a uh, I got a grant through Screen Actors Guild right at the top of the pandemic. I just came off of a short film that won the Academy Award. I applied for this grant, oh. I got it, and I bought a I bought a camera. So for the first three months of the pandemic, all I did was learn how to shoot. I was, you know, producing some shorts with my girlfriend, who was my neighbor in New York. We spent three months in kind of like a film school boot camp. And then I teamed (laughs) up with Dustin and we wrote the full feature script for the Andy Baker tape.
1: Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And you were in New York at the time. Did you guys guys film this? I know it takes place in New Jersey. I don't know if it was
2: filmed there. Um, But
1: this was an East Coast uh, production, right?
2: It was. Yeah, we mostly shot. I mean, Dustin and I, who I co-wrote, who plays Andy Baker in the film, were both from the Jersey Shore. I grew up in a small town, Point Pleasant. He's from Freehold. And during the pandemic, I was in New York up until June of 2020. I finally left. I rented a small beach house at the Jersey Shore. There was nothing going on in the city. And I, I spent... I'd say, you know, uh, 15 months on and off in New Jersey, you know, going back and forth. I was touring the film. But we shot, for the most part, all around the Jersey Shore. We went down to Atlantic City. The only scenes not shot in New Jersey, if anyone watched the film, are at the top of the film. And we're in the cabins in Pennsylvania. That's in the far part of Pennsylvania. I gotcha. I got you.
1: Well, you know, spending the pandemic... Um, doing your passion um, in a beach house
2: could be worse, my friend. Could be worse. No, neither- you know, I, no, I again,
1: I agree.
2: <laughs> I, 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 you know, it certainly didn't come without its costs, and right. the rest of my career was kind of put on hold. But I tried to do whatever I could to make the best of that time that was given to me. And in a way, it opened up kind of new outlets. You know, I I spent the last 10 years working as an actor out of New York, and you get so busy where you're running to auditions, you're running to jobs, you're trying to make things work, you're trying to work side jobs, and you don't really have the time to sit down and just write and type and get things kind of um, ironed out. This gave me that freedom to um, just, sit down and devote myself to a project that I was controlling, that I wasn't being told by a studio, you know, to go work on. This was just me. And it was my distraction from this, the slowness of the pandemic, and it kept me artistically active. That's awesome.
1: You know, that's something I've known a few people. I, I went to school in Boston, so, you know, I was down in New York at least once a month down in the city um, just you know, because that's, that's where everything's happening, man. Um, yeah. But I, I I knew a couple of uh, uh, people doing the trying to get into break into the acting gig and a couple of uh, stand ups and whatnot. But you know something that people don't realize outside of the business, um, just you know when you're at home and you click on the TV and you watch a show and it's great and all this mess. But what what really the 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 actor and actresses that 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 get that do that work very hard you know there's a trope that oh everybody's a waiter when they're uh, you know an aspiring actor and this and that. it's hard to have a regular job with a schedule yep. and stuff like that when you got to run all the time so i mean you could get a call and say we need to see you in three hours or we need to see you tomorrow yeah. you know, or uh yeah absolutely. i mean it's
2: always been been one of the struggles when you're first starting off and and even now you always kind of have to work flexible jobs and things that you can drop at the blink of a moment. I was always fortunate that I was able to kind of get into side hustles with tons of other actors. So if I needed to bail out for an audition or if I booked a job for a few months and I was out of town, I could get coverage. I I will Mm -hmm. say I had this conversation with a friend now who started off as an actress, who's now an executive at Amazon. And that's the one thing that they don't teach you in drama school, is kind of how to navigate when you're first starting off. You know, New York is the most expensive. It's like the second most expensive city in the United States. You're paying extreme rent. You're paying extreme bills. Everything's more expensive. It's how to keep yourself afloat and how to keep going. And for the most part, you know, actors were, when we're working these side gigs, unless we have, you know, uh, a great trust fund or someone kind of sponsoring us, we're taking jobs that we're underemployed in, where we, we're not really making the, the money that we can because we have to take things that we can bail out at any second because we get a job. Um, that is just the nature of this beast. And it, you have to stay. I mean, I, mean, I, I think the statistic is that at any given time, it's 95% of actors are unemployed. So no matter who you right. are, at some point you're going to be you're going to be faced with bills you have to pay, and you have to find things that are lucrative that can keep you afloat, and that is just as energy draining as it is of trying to run to every audition, tr- try to get things going, tr- try to pick things up. It, it really is uh, life Django. That's the best way I, I can put it. Really <laughs> try to navigate your life and arrange your life in a way where you don't have distractions to what's really important to you.
1: Absolutely. I was just talking to a friend of mine. I have a lot of friends in the. I I tell people I'm an old uh, retired club rat. I used to go to a lot of nightclubs. I'm a painter for trade. That's what I do. I paint paintings, and that's who I used to sell a lot. When I lived out in Southern California, that's, um, you know, where people who bought paintings hung out. So that's why I was hanging out. A lot of you know, I, I was wolfing around. I was single, you know. Uh, Worlds different when in under the, those circumstances. Anyhow, um, so I, I knew a lot. I, I know a lot of DJs, and when the pandemic happened, one of the crazy things is right before it happened, man, there's got to be at least six or seven people, uh, guys and gals I knew, who got these giant, uh, great, money residency jobs in Vegas and in different places. Wow! And you know, they, they had about two months of really big money coming in and they weren't used to it. They weren't used to it. And, you know, cars yeah. were bought, houses were rented, you know, all kinds. you know, all the trappings of when you first get a little bit of money. Sure. And um, sure. then the pandemic happened and the nightclub business <laughs> shut down, you know, you, was, you, you yeah. and the acting, same thing, you know, same thing. Um, I remember watching when it first happened, I was watching, I think it was, uh, uh, the blacklist, and they had to animate half the show because everybody was couldn't work, you know, because of the pandemic. Yeah, and um, you know, the same thing happened. And those cars, you know, the notes still were due, rent still had to be paid. You know, I mean, yeah. And once yeah, you take that, that, it, that it, influx out, ooh, things
2: got tight, you know. Nobody had prepared it, It's, always, they didn't it's know. always this fine, fine, fine line because you spend so much time, you know, I spent years in drama school. I spent years when I was first out of college. All I did Christ. was train with coaches in New York and I worked with people. And it wasn't until I was about 25 or 26 that I really tried to buckle down and figure out my finances and also arrange my life in a way that was really suitable that I could find longevity, you know, through the ebbs and valleys of this career. You know, I, when I first moved to New York, I got my SAG card when I was 22. I was right out of school. I hardly had any cash. I got a brand new apartment in New York and then I had to furnish it. So this was my (laughs) first credit card. I was $10,000 in debt immediately. And this was (laughs) post-graduating college my, my side, you know, when you get your side card, it's three thousand dollars. I paid a thirty five hundred dollar broker fee for the apartment, and then I went to Ikea and I put three thousand dollars of furniture on. Now, I, I, I lived with that debt for about a year and a half, and then luckily I booked a nice film job that I shot for three months that I was able to pay all that off. Knock that now, out. I, right. I know what that stress feels like to have that, and I know what the relief is to get that away. So after that I started working with a you know, a financial manager just to just to tuck things in and to to give myself the the peace of mind and the safety net that's needed to sustain a career in this in this business. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely and you're an actor. You gotta keep your hair, you gotta you know, you can't be
2: uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, the tr- that's what no one tells you, you know, haircuts at Good Salon in New York are $90, you know, like right.
1: you know, I grew up at the Jersey Shore,
2: where if, I, I spent right. $15 on haircuts growing up. But I, you know, it's all these little extra expenses. And luckily, for the most part, you can do a lot of those as tax write offs. Some of that's changed, right. but you know, it's true, it's like any, you know, I have, I have, I was a competitive swimmer for years. My hair is a little bit chlorine damaged. If I don't take care of it, it poofs out like a fro. So I go to these mm-hmm. better salons to to get my hair taken care of. And it's a, it is. a It's it it's expensive. And my friends at home look at me like I'm crazy. But I'm like, hey, that's, that's part of my calling card. It's part of the image that yeah, I have. Yeah, that's part of it.
1: the job. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember my wife manages. We have more product and bottles of stuff in our house, then she manages a, a makeup place, uh, one of these, uh, okay. a big makeup store. And, uh, so she's into all that. She, and she's an esthetician and she knows all this stuff. When we first got together, I'll never forget. I was washing my face with lava soap because it, I could get it at the dollar store and it got paint off. Yeah. And I didn't you know, I, I didn't think any pores. What the hell is a poor? I don't even know. You know, I knew I was. Poor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, and she, uh, she just was, I remember she just went in and threw everything away. She's like, no, no, yeah. you're, you're, you're an idiot. <laughs> this is what you got to do, man. You're going to look 95 when you're, you know, 40. What's wrong with you? And uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I, my gig my, is my, a little my easier thing. because I don't have to be in the camera. You got to look like a movie star, you know? So you got to eat right. You got to sleep. You got to, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. you know, it's all part of the stuff that goes into it, and I was a competitive swimmer for years, so when it comes to trying to take care of my body and nutrition, that's something that comes naturally, you know, it's it's certainly an hour and a half sacrifice a day to go to the gym, but it's kind of part of what you sign up for, you know, that's just that, but, you know, I remember even... You know my my big splurge was when I was able to finally get Keel's products. I really like keels, and that's like the facial mm-hmm. moisturizer stuff that I use. And you know it's it's not anything that's crazy expensive, but you know even like a bottle of Keels is forty bucks. But it, it's the right. best stuff that I use. You know, and I it's just things. Well, you, you know, finish. I I, I learn. Yeah, I I learned from these makeup artists on set. You know, I just had a makeup artist who was like, "You got to try emu oil." So I said, okay. I guess emu oil has the same fat lipids that our body has, so it really kind of moisturizes your skin in a good way. So they sent me a bottle there of emu go. oil, and I'm using that before I go to bed. And I think it actually really does help and clean. But even a bottle of that, is, you know, for a three ounce bottle is like sixty dollars, and it's stuff that right, it's that's crazy. crazy and. The, the high school version of me would have been like, what are you doing? But it is true. I have, I have sometimes <laughs> have a camera in my face that's three inches away. So, you know, it's absolutely crevice, every, every pore, every blemish. And you have to kind of combat that. Absolutely. And every month they're coming out with better TVs.
1: You know, I watched yep, the yep. was at my, uh, my in-laws and my in-laws kind of well-to-do and they, they have, uh, you know, fancy TVs and stuff. And, I don't know, we walked through the room and there was uh, one of the Indiana Jones movies, the one with Sean Connery, and uh, they're in the plane, you know, and it looks terrible. It looked terrible on the screen because that was when that was filmed, it wasn't filmed for a 4K, whatever it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it looked like it was on stage. I was like, yeah. what am I watching, a theatrical production? Um, but yeah, you know, yeah. you got to take all that... Well, the cool thing is, is, you know, it's like anything. It's like, I remember when I first, uh, when I got out to California, I, I made a little bit of money and I, I got an old Jag. I thought I was cool. Like, oh man, I'm driving a Jaguar. Man, I felt like a Bond villain. And um, yeah. you, know, you had to put premium gas in it. It was a fancy car. You couldn't put 87 octane in it. It wouldn't run. Yeah. Know? Same thing with you. You know, you got to, you got, you can't put a big pizza in there, maybe once in a while, but not every day, can't be going to Taco Bell. No, I, I you
2: give know? myself one day where I eat whatever I want, you know, you can't, I, I've learned that you can't live like a gerbil on a wheel, you know, because that's just not sustainable, so usually one day <laughs> of the week, I do a major pig out day where it's like pancakes, donuts, I'll go to In N Out sometimes. I'll get, you know, a four by four and, uh, you know, some. I'm I in ain't... LA right now. I get, get a animal and go style. With Yeah, Yay, totally. Oh, get a milkshake. And, you know, or, when I was in New York, the treat would be pizza. You know, I, I used right. to um, go, go to all the good pizza shops around the city. It was like a once a week thing. So we'd go to. You know, DeFara is one of the legendary pizza places in Brooklyn. I go oh, out yeah. to DeFara, I go to John's or I would just down some stuff like that. And uh, you, you have to do that because if you're just eating brown rice, you chicken, and broccoli, you're you're right. going to go crazy, you know. And the guys that are on those bodybuilding competition diets, you know, they're really only doing that, too, when they're in competition season. You know, on the off season, they're exactly. they're eating whatever they can to bulk up and just put on the size. So... You know, it, it, it comes well, you know, and goes it, when I have to be... It's
1: different, processing. too, when somebody's hanging a big check in front of you. You know, oh, we need you to be yeah, this yeah. way for this role. <laughs> okay, you paying me? I can eat an apple. Not a problem. Not yeah. a problem. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's... Well, you know, it, you look great. You've been in all kinds of... I, I took a look at your uh, IMDB page um, uh, before, and uh, you got all kinds of stuff. Now, with this one, not only were you acting, though... Um, with the Andy Baker tape, you uh, y- you slid it, well, you know, you co-wrote it, and then you slid into the director's chair. Was this your first, I can't remember, uh, I remember all your acting stuff, uh, including, like, Law and & Order and all kinds of cool stuff you were on Alpha. Yeah, huh? yeah. Um, did um, Was this one of your first directing debuts, or had you done that a couple times before?
2: No, this really was my first major directing project. You know, I, I directed a couple... Wow shorts leading up to this and they were very low budget just putting things up and this was the first time that I really sat down and and I helmed the project on my own. I did work as a producer in the past and I have produced feature films and I worked as a story treatment editor so I had an understanding of what goes into the process but this really was the first time that I sat down and I, I helmed the project of my own.
1: dot j a m i e r o x x dot u s.
2: Metal Babe Mayhem.
0: That's www.love.shackapothecary.com, as well as online on Instagram and Facebook. Links are in our website. from La Holler to Miami to London. US
1: Man, that's got to be cool. I mean, cool and maybe a little intimidating at the same time, you know, we we got to get this right, you know. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a balance because <laughs> you,
2: you, you, you make have sure to have you got to land its plane. One hundred percent. And I, I can't say that I balanced the neuroses perfectly, but one thing that you have to do is that you always have to bring the fun and the the creation in mm-hmm. and, and the fun of creating. And without that, you lose. There's always something lost. And the best sets that I've been on when I'm on sets with more accomplished directors are are people that keep a really steady keel that are relaxed, that you don't feel the pressure of the day. And I've been on I've been in productions where it's we're racing against the clock. We have one we have, you know, five minutes to shoot one scene, then we have to move on to the next. And not only does that put an extra pressure on the actors, but it puts everyone in kind of a state of chaos. And we're all you're all kind hmm. of working under pressure. Now, in some ways, that's good. It forces you. I mean, you really have to learn to be on constantly, and it forces you to work fast on your feet. But if, you know, you look at great directors like Warren Beatty, who, when he was directing, he had all the money in the world to throw. He would do 80 takes of some scenes. I think that famous scene at the end of Reds, when Jack Nicholson gets off the train and Diane Keaton's there, they did 97 times. So you know wow. when you have the budget and you can afford to um you know do work that way, you know that you you can you can shoot a film in six months we didn't. We shot the Andy Baker tape in about a week and a half, and did we have wow issue absolutely. You know, we had to go back. We had to reshoot some things. We were still relatively new to using the cameras. And for the most part, it's just Dustin and myself helming the cameras. And we had some issues where things were out of focus. or They were blurry and this. And our goal in the final product is to take the noise away. and You're just seeing the fun and you're seeing the journey that these guys go on together. But the, the, the last few nights on the Andy Baker tape were truly 18-hour nights shooting everything Mm. until about six and seven in the morning to to get the shots that we needed and move on. And at the end of the day, you just have to service the project. So we we committed, we buckled down, and we said we're going to get this done for the project that we're working on.
1: That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, you know, and you got to – fortunately, you had been on sets and stuff before where you kind of knew, well, this could happen, you know. I mean, we got to do it. Yeah. and, but still, oh, but still, so you get it done. Now, here's the thing you get, this is something I discovered since I started doing the podcast, been doing the podcast, I don't know, eight years now or something, something crazy. I didn't plan on wow, that. Wow. I planned on like, yeah, I planned on like 10 episodes. I figured my friend kind of talked me into it. And, and I thought, yeah, I'll do a couple of these and, uh, you know, I'll find something else
2: to do. And, um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, here we are. But anyway,
2: something i hey, learned. That, that, hey, that's learned. a great accomplishment on its own. You should be proud, man. <laughs> Eight years is oh. huge.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it keeps me out of the bars, right? No. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I really enjoy it. I, well, I tell you one of the cool things about the podcast that I really have found is a couple times a week, I get to meet and talk to people like yourself who are doing cool shit and, and just really inspired. Because sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and I'm like, I don't even want to get out of bed, man. I, I don't know if I'm fighting depression or, or whatever it is, but I'm like, man, I don't want to do cool. it today. And then I think to myself, well, Brett's out there. He's, uh, you know, he's buying $40 moisturizer cream. I, I better get on it <laughs> so I can, uh, you know, keep that. That's just very inspiring. But anyway, one of the things I've learned is I'm a civilian. I'm not in the in the picture business, you know. It's slightly in entertainment on, on a wayside of the stage type deal, Um, you know, selling to people in that business, uh, a lot of, a lot of art and whatnot. But um, one of the things I learned is before I would put on TV, I would put on a show, you know, uh, Law and Order or something, you know, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, they filmed this last week. They did a pretty good job of it. You know, I got it rain last week. Why isn't it raining in the show? You know, I didn't realize that movie time is completely different than yeah. the time I'm used to as a civilian out here. And I also learned that sometimes these films, you make them, and okay, we shot it, ah, done deal, let's all buy a boat. No, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Then you've got to get distribution and take it out to festivals and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, after editing it, after putting it together, that was just a given, I guess. But, um, I mean, this could be a long process. A very involved it, it,
2: it is. Yeah, yeah I, I found, you know, um you touched on some great points there. This because it was the pandemic and because it was my project and I just wanted something, I really invested every single day in doing what I could to get this up on its feet. I think it was a six month process from start to finish when we started the script and when oh, we that's had a fine we we had And that yes, that's extremely quick. Now, it definitely helped that we shot the film found footage. If I was shooting like a true narrative feature film, as if we were shooting Dune, there's no way we could have done that in six months. You know, those are major undertakings where the scenes are much more complicated to edit and get those up and running. But I spent every day editing this around the clock because I cared about the project, and it was enjoyable to me. It actually left me feeling extremely fulfilled. And, and we got a final cut of the film in January 2021. It was January 13th, I, I remember exactly. And when I finished, I was with my producer, Caitlin Bork, and we just said, you know, if we get this into one film festival, that's, I just want people to, to to possibly get it. You know, I knew that I got it. We didn't know how it was going to be received. And we ended up playing 26 pretty major film festivals last year, and we ended up walking away with 26 major awards. And that's not something that I'm saying wow. to brag about. It's just no. it's so unexpected at the reception that we had from this film and the way that people took it, and I'm so grateful that the work that we put into this paid off. I've been part of some films, though. You know, I shot a film in 2016 – And in in Nantucket, you know, I was there for three months and that didn't come out till 2020. It was a four year process Mm -hmm. in between shooting and editing the film. And that's the I mean, that's not uncommon in the indie film world where, you know, a director doesn't have a studio bearing down saying we have to get this product out. We have to do this so the directors can sit with the project really shape the story and the exact narrative that they want to tell and put that out there. I think that we just wanted to get something up and running so quickly with this that we had the, I had the adrenaline behind us and we were just pumping and we, we were very organized shooting this and we knew, you know, we rehearsed a lot going into it. So when we got to set, we basically understood the acting of it. It was just a, I was adapting the blocking to very specific locations. We would show up, and they'd actually be real, live, working locations. The restaurants are all operating right then. They had no idea that we were shooting. We were doing this guerrilla style. We would show up at some of these hotels, and we would adapt (laughs) the blocking. to. But we knew, you know relatively A to B to C of where we were going to go. And then of course, in the freedom of the moment of acting, things change and and the scene becomes what it's eventually going to become. But if you don't show up prepared for some of those things, you're going to be up shit's creek. Uh, I also, you know, one of the reasons why we were able to shoot this as quickly as we were is because we could use what's called practical lighting and practical lighting is, when you are just using what's in the room, for instance, like a lamp or an overhead light. And that's what separates found footage from a movie like Dune, where you have, you know, a master cinematographer lighting the film in such a cinematic way. And that's what really takes time on sets. It's not the shooting, it's setting up the lighting in the right way. I did an episode of The Good Wife, and on The Good Wife, I was in a courtroom scene and they shoot the courtroom scene from the front, from the left, from the right, and from the back. And each time they do that, they break down the walls and they set up lights on, the, on, on, on all the sides to light wow. the characters perfectly. That, that, those days that we shot the courtroom scenes, every single day we hit what's called golden hours, which is a producer's nightmare, which means we were working 16-hour days and the overtime pay we got was so much because it takes so long to set up those shots. And we right. didn't have to deal with the same caliber of lighting because we were doing a found footage film. That That's one of the main reasons why I think people choose that medium and choose that genre. Number one, it's budget friendly. Number two, you don't have to have the same level of technical skill as if you're shooting you know, uh, a true narrative, you know, if you're shooting like a true feature, but you can also do it very self-contained. And it was the pandemic. We couldn't have a sound team with us. We couldn't have a cinematographer. You know, we had to do this ourselves. And that was the best vehicle we could find for the story and a way to get the project up really quickly.
1: Well, so that means that um, you, there was, you always see like in, in photo shoot pictures and stuff, some guy or gal holding one of those big reflector. I don't know what they're called, but it, it looks like something you put in your yeah. car so the sun doesn't cool, you know, trash your dad. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so none of that, there was none of that. There was nobody walking around doing light. Well, there, you know, in, in the, in the end of this, in the end of the film, I don't want to give anything away, but when we're right. doing some of the, the finale, you know, we do have a third hand on the camera and we needed someone else. So while they weren't holding reflectors, We did have another person in there very strategically helping us with the camera, hiding under a car seat, holding a camera up, making sure that we had our angles right, checking the gate that way. So we, but no, you know, we didn't have anyone really helping us get lights up. We had a few extra lights that we tucked in some locations just to illuminate scenes. But they're not. Mm. It's not done in a theatrical way. It's just to make sure that there's enough light on the characters' faces, and it still looks like it's being shot, you know, as true to life as possible.
1: And now, folks, a couple of quick messages from some of our show sponsors. Stay tuned. We'll be back with the rest of the interview after these quick messages. this cool episode ad-free. If you're a VIP member, you can become one on my website, dot www.jamierox.us.
0: Hey Rockers, this is Stacy Lane Wilson, author and editor of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series, I have a new podcast that features interviews with musicians, artists, authors, filmmakers, and music historians. In season one, I interview Phil Toussaint from Ozzy Osbourne's band, Scott Crawford, the director of the Cream Magazine documentary, Lisa S. Johnson, the award-winning author and photographer of the books 108 Rockstar Guitars and Immortal Axes, just to name a few.
1: Lbion. dot com, Michelle very very cool stuff. Check it out, folks. Oh, that's amazing! That is amazing. Well, you know, it's I read somewhere I think it was on your IMDb page or the the movies IMDb page. And folks, we have links. Um, I just want to let everybody know uh, we, we've got links. We've got links to uh, lot of net. Uh, your website and and also the Andy Baker tape, um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter uh, accounts and whatnot. And I want those links. And when we convert this to a podcast, those links stay active. So if you're listening to this on Spotify in the future, you know, hello from the past, click on that link. It'll get you right there and like, and share, help get the word out. Because chances are, if you like something, your friends are going to dig it too. Um, But one of the things uh, I read somewhere that the cop you guys had the cops called on you a couple times? People didn't know we what the did. hell was going on or something? What's that
3: about? We
2: did, you know. So I like I said, you know, we shot really in live locations and we kind of just pulled up we we shot this one scene. You saw the film, it's when Jeff and Andy are kind of arguing outside of a warehouse and it's when Andy's calling the he's supposed to be down in Maryland to work on someone's car. And they tell them that, no, you can't, you're not going to work on the car today. And they're screaming outside. So we did that about 15 times. And two police officers show up. And they're like, we got, what's going on, guys? We're getting a lot of complaints. We see you two fighting. What's going on? And we said, (laughs) no, no. We're actually shooting a New Jersey version of the Blair Witch Project. And the the police officers got so excited when they heard that. They're like, this is great. We're going to tell everyone, Don't worry. Keep doing what you're doing. This is great, you know. And it, we eventually, we kind of had people on the on the streets watching what we were doing. We had kind of like a mini fan club. It was like at the end of uh, Dog Day afternoon, people <laughs> screaming Attica at us, you know. Uh, we had that going on. And then there was another, awesome. another scene when we're doing some of the food blogging. And we're shooting outside of uh, – in the beginning, we're shooting outside this great turkey farm that I, I love going to. And we got about $150 worth of food. The sun's going down, and we have to shoot this scene. Now, we're using shotgun mics the entire time. Shotgun mics are an on-camera mic, and we use those to mimic the fact that we are shooting on a camcorder. We wanted this to be as true to life as possible. We didn't realize this, but New Jersey's becoming infested with 5G towers. So, the frequency from 5G towers just slices through the audio and makes this terrible noise, and it was ruining our audio. So, we have all Mm. this food. We're like, how are we going to get this shot done? And we ended up finding a dumpster. We flipped the dumpster on its side. We tucked the camera in there, and we wrapped all this copper wire around the camera body, which basically made this makeshift Faraday cage. It blocked the frequency. Then the owner of the farm sees what we're doing, gets in his pickup, drives over and goes, what is going on here? He said, oh, you know, we're shooting some YouTube videos. We're just trying to get this food vlogging done. I said, I, I, I grew up right down the street. I'm from Point Beach High School. He goes, Point Beach High School, did you know so-and-so? I said, yeah, they were hmm. a year older than me. And that's true, they were. They were a year older than me. He goes, that's my yeah. nephew. I said, oh, yeah, I know his brother really well. You know, I knew, I knew both of them. He goes, all right, all right, all right. Don't put our name in the film, stay shooting, just put the dumpster back on the side when when you're finished. And we did. So, you know, we, we, I think people saw that we were doing a passion project and they got behind the fact that we weren't causing, you know, we weren't really causing any trouble. We weren't causing any damage. They didn't really understand what we were doing, but we, uh, you know, we just kind of had to go with that. And we didn't, you know, we didn't get location allowances. We don't show any names in the film, so we can kind of get around that. The only place we do show mm. is this bagel restaurant called Oh, What a Bagel, which is in Bayville, New Jersey. And the owner, Michelle, was so great to us. And she saw that we were shooting outside the bagel store. And she goes, what are you guys doing? We told her, she goes, you know what, do whatever you want. Use the store, use the front, walk in and out. I don't care. I think it's nice. great. So, you know, we, we were able to get people on our side and – uh Really, just enjoy what we were doing.
1: That's awesome. That is fantastic. Well, and they see that you're, you know, you're you're not up to no, you're not stealing catalytic converters out there
2: or something, you know, you're not doing anything exactly, yeah. crazy, you know. Um, and and people well, were well, pretty one of the cool. scenes that 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 we shot is the final, you know, the the final hotel scene that the two guys are at, where it's really kind of the right. turning point in the film where. You know, not to give anything away, but there's a a chase around the parking lot. So when we were trying to find that location, there's a row of hotels that's outside Atlantic City that goes on. I forget the road, but there's about 15 or 20 hotels. Now, that's where everyone goes when they're leaving Atlantic City to do whatever they're going to do. If you catch my drift, you know, there's probably a lot Mm -hmm. of drugs going on there, a lot of, you know, guys picking up women, vice versa. And we could get those hotels, number one, for $40. But number two, we drove past the location for that. And there was such a, um, it was such a lit parking lot with LED lights because they were trying to keep people from, you know, I guess not loitering and doing drugs in the parking lot. So like, right. this is perfect for, for this thing. Now, We're running around – I'm running around in just a towel around that parking lot, half naked in the movie. (laughs) We were probably the most inconspicuous people there, you know, and we had people coming out of the hotel rooms, watching over the balcony, watching us kind of run around and do this. No one knew what the hell that we were doing, but we were probably, you know, the least illegal event going on there that night. Right. Oh, man. Crazy, crazy. What's a great yeah. movie. No, it drops
1: The the movie, it's not out yet, right? It comes out the 29th or something? No, it, no. it, it,
2: it, it, it is actually. We, we had an early release through Terror Films. They put us on their YouTube channel um, on the 5th. We just had a wide release on the 12th where we're playing from – we're on Apple TV. We're on Amazon. We're on Tubi. We're on Google Play, we're on Microsoft Movies, YouTube Movies. And then this Friday, we have another premiere on Kings of Horror Channel, which is a huge horror channel, which we'll get, and then we have more coming down the road. I know that we just got picked up by Roku, Um, that'll be in 2023, and, you know, we'll get some more platforms as, as the rollout happens. No,
1: that's amazing. That's amazing. That's one of the cool things with all this streaming. And one of the silver, and I'm not making light of the pandemic, ladies and gentlemen. Don't send me emails. A lot of people got sick. A lot of people died. Um, And it's very tragic and whatnot. But I always try to find a silver lining. And one of the silver linings um, is in the the, the entertainment business is everyone knows how to stream now. Uh, Yeah, Nobody, oh, I don't know how to work the Roku. Everybody's very aware how to, uh, you know. Play a movie from their PlayStation on the TV. Um, yeah, and you know it's it's great. How is that? Let me ask you from a business point of view, because to me it would seem, oh, that's great. There's all this stream, you know. They probably need a lot of product, you know. Um, that's a very simplistic view, I'm sure. How is it navigating those waters with all these streaming channels? Is it is it difficult? Is it uh, to be honest? You got to know what you're doing. First-
2: it, it, it's my first time delving delving into this. We we have a distributor. We were picked up by Terror Films, and they've done a great job right. of pushing this out there. I, I will, you know, we won't find out for the next few months how we're doing. I know that we have about 10,000 views on one channel in about a week, which for um a smaller indie film without a studio PR, I'm thrilled with that. I'm getting a lot of, you know, we have a lot of positive reviews, and we have IMDb, where we have Letterboxd, and we, you know, I'm um, part of these horror and found footage groups on Facebook that have sixty to 70,000 members in there, and there's a lot of buzz about new horror and found footage films. So We have a lot of people talking about us in these platforms. They don't know that I'm the director, so I'm able to see the comments. For the most part, it's all super positive things. We have some people that, you know, that, of course, with any kind of art form, don't like the story. Right. and that's okay, you know, and it's, it's also interesting to me for me to see both sides of the coin of what people latch on to, what people say that they don't like, and when we set out to make this movie, we never truly wanted to make this, it was never really a horror film, we wanted to make this kind of dark comedy relationship drama that, that, that takes the turn, and we are being billed as a horror film, so die hard fans of the horror genre you know if you're expecting' They're like why is that guy exploding right yeah 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 exactly like we're not going to be a blood horror body horror kind of film that's just not what we wanted to get on camera the people that understand what we were going for love it and i'm and I'm, I'm grateful for the reception but it's also a lesson to see that fans of this genre how passionate they are what they want and Moving forward for my next projects, I can take, you know, I can take note from, you know, from any, from, from the comments that I'm getting positive or negative. And at the end of the day, these projects are all mud on the wall. And I, you know, you, you, you put, you get things up and running and they're all, they're all learning experiences. You know, like the Andy Baker tape, as much as I love this, this is not the end all be all for me. This was my first feature film. So with that comes right. major learning curve, I had a great learning experience with this. I was able to put something out there that I'm truly proud of, and we busted our, our our humps to get this up and running. But hopefully I've grown from this process. I've learned more about storytelling. I've learned more about creating, and I can only take those lessons and move forward in a more positive way. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, I will say this. I will say this for all the guys out there that are – you know, diehard horror splattered, you know, guys and whatnot. That's great. And the reality is I know when you put one of those movies on for about 90% of you, your wives and girlfriends go, oh, great. Here we go again. Um, I'm telling you, every girl I know, and I'm not trying to be sexist or anything, I'm just saying, it seems to me they all love these murder, crazy psycho movies and shows. You yeah, know,
2: every girl I know watches these, it's, I call them murder. It's true. true. My, my, you know? my, my, my girlfriend's the same way. She, she like, they love, you know, these, oh. it's, I don't know what, why these documentaries or, like, these these shows are so popular. I did, I actually did a few when I was first starting off in my career, a few of these horror reenact, or, like, these murder reenactment shows. Right. The first one I did was <laughs> yeah. this show called called Deadly Sins, and I played a true character Craig Craig Rubinowitz who was this Westchester Wall Street broker who killed his wife for her life insurance policy and you know married a or tried to marry a, a stripper afterwards and he was a real character and I played Craig in <laughs> right. and then I did this amazing show on Lifetime it was Lifetime's first scripted show called I Love You But I Lied and it was so popular and they were true stories that were yeah, I love, so the it. love this,
0: it.
2: The director of it is this great guy, Michael Selvich, who was the showrunner for that show Catfish. So he basically okay. took that formula, brought it into narrative T V. And honestly, I'd say that's where the idea for the Andy Baker tape almost got birthed. And I saw that how easy it is to shoot a project in this pseudo mockumentary, documentary way and and do it on on a tight budget. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when it's my, it,
1: we, we take turns, kind of, it's not anything written in stone or anything, but, you know, I'll have my night where, um, we're watching, you know, Prey or something, although
2: my wife did love that, yeah.
1: um, that, that was, she, she's never seen a Predator movie, that started her out, I think, Oh yeah, yeah, wow, wow, um, yeah, yeah, and, um, but, you know, then it'll be her night, and it'll be, uh, you know, if I can get her off The Handmaid's Tale or something, um that's just so depressing yeah. to me. Um, you know, it's a murder show. So we're watching some, you know, ah, this kid's, you know, been in prison for life. Gonna get out of you know, something or this, this man messed around in his wife and she ran over him with the car. It's something I know we're gonna be watching and they eat it up. I'm saying for those yeah. guys out there that the splatter guys, when it's when it's the misses T- night on the T V, you put this on because this is a cool thriller. You gotta the guy is creepy as everybody just the acting in this including yourself Brett is phenomenal phenomenal and the ladies are gonna love this I'm telling you because it's pretty
2: creepy old Andy is pretty creepy yeah you know like we um you know Dustin obviously does a a a, such a great job as, as Andy and uh he brought such a light-hearted vulnerability to that. And, and you know, we, we did do a lot of research on these characters. We certainly watched a lot of found footage. We tried to see what worked. We tried to see what didn't. We didn't want this to be your average shaky cam, jump scare. You know, we're going to torture right. you with going into a dark room and you're not going to know when someone's going to jump out of you. But we did, you know, we, we, we saw what worked. We saw what didn't. Um, Justin just naturally brings a really good playful energy to this character, which was not what I originally anticipated when I, when we scripted this out and we wrote this. And I'm so glad that he brings that lightheartedness because these guys really are supposed to be the yin and yang of each other. You know, they're the polar opposites in some ways, but they, they right. fill the void, you know, they, they fill each other's voice. And I've known Justin for years and, to be to work opposite him as an actor, you know we're really just drawing on our friendship and our years of history and chemistry, and we're able to bring that through onto the, the screen together. No, it,
1: it works. It works, and I don't want to give anything away. I want everybody to watch it. I watched it a couple times. This film is phenomenal. Um, there is one of the skills. we have. It we have a player that plays on our show page, and it, it's one of the skills in there. It's one of the skills you guys released. You know, it's your press stuff. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, the, the the scene with him in the doorway. Oh man, that is a creepy shot. That is a painting, man. Yeah. That, that is that sells it. I'm like, oh, oh man.
2: Um, my wife yeah, saw that. She's like, nope. Nope. Wasn't wasn't <laughs> planned. You know, we had a different idea for that scene. And then when we were shooting it, I I looked at the framing and I was like, you know what? I think we could pull this off. And originally it was the character running outside with the camera and trying to see who was outside. And the way that that uh, shot came out is so much more effective. And it just shows to really be open to what's around you. And really, you know, if we had this set rigid idea of like, we have to shoot it this way. We have to do this. We would have never stumbled into some of the mistakes and accidents that, that we got from doing this. And that's just another lesson to where you kind of – you have to leave yourself open to the possibilities of what something can be as opposed to what you want to make it.
1: No, that's great advice. That's great advice for any artistic project, any artistic project, you know. Um, And maybe, you know, if you're making muffins, maybe you put a a cup and a half of sugar in there, you know, instead of a cup. Yeah. Might work. Might not. (laughs) Might not, but you got to try. You got to try. Oh, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Let me ask you this. I know, now, Brad, I know how you Hollywood types can be. You know, you're just very busy going to lunches all the time, uh, partying with models at night, the whole bit. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, But I do know that when it comes to talking about uh, future projects, sometimes you can talk about it, sometimes you can't, you know, until T's are crossed and I's dotted and all that. Do you have something in the hopper for the next project that you can share? Or is everything kind of hot right now? I do. I, okay. I, was,
2: I just shot this fun horror film around L.A. a few months ago called Bad Connection. Uh, I have a great little fun part in that that I shot, and I'm excited for that to come out. I have been workshopping two separate scripts. And this I'm certainly on my sophomore project with getting out one of these. I, I'm working on this dark relationship drama right now um it's a horror you know it's basically Mm. get out meets five get out meets five easy pieces so i'm in the middle of putting of putting that together right now i got a little bit sidetracked with the distribution of andy and you know i just i actually moved to la from new york in january of this year so when you're moving to a new city, that doesn't come without some ups and downs, and you know a little bit of a learning curve of getting used to the new city. And I was a little bit sidetracked, but surely, like my 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 dad just called me the other day, and he's really excited mm. about all the stuff that they. Had. He's like, "What are you working on now? What do you got going on? Like, what you are working on? Your nice, <laughs> like that." So That's I'm, I'm finally, feeling. you know, I'm, I'm I'm getting some pressure from uh from the people around me to get stuff up and running, which is good. And it's it's true, like I I now that i've let andy out into the wild and i don't have to hold its hand anymore through this process i can kind of dial myself back in and really focus on on what's next and 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 let let andy speak for itself and i don't have to shepherd him anymore through this uh through the distribution process
1: no that's amazing that's amazing well it's cool you know um Sometimes you need a little, uh, a little fire set under you, you know? I mean, I, I've been there, I've been there and, um, you know, but at the same time too, sometimes you gotta, I call it recharging your battery. I I have a big, I do all kinds of crazy shit. Um, all of my old cool friends are like, what the hell are you doing? You're having a garden now. You used to be the king of the club. What's wrong with you? You know, um, you know, I'm old now. I, I, I can't go to clubs. I'm married. Um, but anyway, I uh, I reset my battery. I, I say, you know, I, I go out, I work in the garden, I, I you know I mow the grass or something, you know, do all this guess, kind of stuff my dad used to do. Um, but it resets yeah. it, and then I can sit down and be creative, and my mind's fresh, and and things work a lot better for me at least. Yeah. Um, sometimes you got to do that. How are you liking? You no, know, this you worked out in LA before, but living out there, kind of different, way different than Jersey. What, how are you digging that? You know, it's... And it's, did you
2: bring your neighbor? There, I think I, I think there's, like, pros and cons to being out in L.A. You know, I, it's definitely more of an isolating feeling than being in New York, where New York, right. I can walk out my apartment and walk down the street and see 10 people that I know. I could run into any kind of pub or bar or see someone that I know, you know, and I can just bump into people. Where here, you really right. have to make plans to see someone, you know? There, You know, I'm in Studio City. I got friends in Santa Monica. It's about a 23-minute drive without traffic. And with L.A. traffic, it's about four hours. <laughs> you <know>? So right. <laughs> you have to, you, you have to um, adjust to that pace of living. And I notice food's more expensive here in general. Like in New York, I'm right. really good at knowing all the little hole-in-the-wall spots where I could go in get a great, quick, cheap lunch, and spend, you know, $10 tops. Here, I I went the other day out for, I got pancakes, eggs, and bacon, and a pot of coffee at a no-frill spot, and it cost me $35 for the tip. Now, that's crazy. Wow. You know, for For pancakes, eggs, and bacon, costing $35. But I just wanted to treat myself to a breakfast. I will not be doing right. that a lot. you know. Now, I, I have found these good hole-in-the-wall spots that I do like. Uh, I, I really miss great bagels growing up at the Jersey Shore <laughs> in New York, a great bacon, <laughs> egg, and cheese. Yeah. I just miss that, man. Where here, everything is street tacos, and the Mexican food is great, but it's a lot of street right. tacos and burritos. Where in New York, they have the halal carts where you're getting chicken over rice or things like that. The, the people out here, it's a different breed, you know, and I'm not saying that it's right. good or bad, but the way that I feel like LA is a, is more uh, it's more optics versus substance, you know, where everything is, I'm going to drive this car, I'm going to do this, I'm going to put on this image, I'm going to wear these clothes, to where coming from the East Coast, things are a little bit more understated, and it's cooler to not show as much if if that makes sense, and I you see that everyone here is really good at showing that like they have this you know they they have this right. that's part of just just the LA culture. Now I I, lo- I just did this road. I was really you know you said you were sick a few weeks ago. I think I caught the mm. same thing. I had it wasn't COVID, but I I went to a wedding in Lake Tahoe. I drove up there. The second uh. I got there, I got the worst fever, chills, everything you could imagine. I was confined to a hotel room for two days. I left left the wedding. Yeah, it was horrible. I left the wedding, and I was like, you know, I don't want to feel like this trip was all for naught. So I drove west, and I drove to Monterey. I was feeling a little bit better, so I did the the Monterey Bay Aquarium that day. I drove around Pebble Beach. I drove around um, Carmel. And I, I, I love Northern California. I love the topography. Yeah. I love the way the sun kind of hits it, where it's a little bit more melancholy. It's not as hustle and bustle as L.A., but, I mean, just the kelp forest. When you're, I mean, when you're looking out into, like, Monterey Bay, and there's the kelp gardens, it's just beautiful. You know, it's a different – Oh, absolutely. The Pacific Northwest, I think, might be one of the most beautiful places in the United States. And then I drove down to, like, San Luis Obispo and, and, you know, did San Luis Obispo for a day. And San Luis Obispo, too. I mean, these are these beautiful old missionary towns that are now kind of turned into these kind of, you know, hippie fun, artsy towns mm-hmm. that you can walk around. And it felt great. You know, I'm, I'm kind of happy that I'm not in the main congestion of L.A. I'm a little bit away from, like, the West Hollywood crowd. I'm in Studio right. City which feels kind of like a nice little neighborhood. I do have a lot of local restaurants. I do have this great art house and movie theater down the road. There's this place I go to called Republic of Pie, and they're just known for doing great pies. And I go there, I get a cherry pie and a cup of coffee, and it's just a relaxing afternoon. I, I, I mm-hmm. like that feel. I, I like the intimacy as opposed to the 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 escaping city that LA is because it's monstrous. It really is. And I, I'm not part of, you know, like the nightlife scene here that much. I'm not a huge, you know, I'm not a, I've never really been like a huge clubber or kind of a nightlife guy. Hmm. So that doesn't appeal to me. I would rather go to a nice dinner and sit down and, you know, have a, yeah. you know, have a, a three-course nice meal and, and, talk, and, and talk to friends. So I, I still feel like I'm my way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I I still feel like I'm finding my my way here. I certainly have learned a lot from being in this city. I've, I it, I think it's it's no matter what, it's great to throw yourself into new situations and see what that pulls out of you. And I am along for the ride. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like sounds like a good thing.
1: I always found the East Coast. Um, the, the West Coast, people are very good at branding. They're very aware yes. of branding. Um, the East Coast, people are like, branding? Uh, this is who I am. <laughs> they are their brand.
2: You know what I mean? They don't yes. even think about it. Yes. Um, it, it's well, very... The, the one The one thing, it, people on the West Coast, I feel, are, are much better, and this isn't me giving a jab, are better at right. talking about themselves, and, and they're not sheepish, where... If you're from the tri-state area, I'm going to use profanity now. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Everyone in North Jersey, New York, whatever, if you are being too extroverted about yourself, everyone says, shut the fuck up. You know? And no one on the West Coast, no (laughs) one on the West Coast does that. Yes, nobody does that. No one is walking down the street, you know, and you have all these influencers. And, like, if you were doing that around New York, everyone would just be like, get the fuck out of my way, you know? And that's what you don't see out here. So you have no one telling you. You might be being a little bit ridiculous. And that gives people, I feel like, a certain level of of freedom to uh, embrace this, hey, this is me, I'm putting myself out there way where, like, like I said, going back to clothing and branding, the the style, like, street style in L.A. is very much in your face. It's very much, like, bright, almost like oh, yeah. pastel-y colors right now. Main branding where, like, the like the more popular brands and styles in New York, it's all muted colors. It's sleek. It's slate tones. It's gray. It's just more about it's blending artsy. in and looking sophisticated as opposed to really putting yourself bright. out there I am. in a... In a, a adventurous way
1: absolutely absolutely and it's just that's how it is you know but i agree with you on northern california i'm telling you i live in south florida it's hot it's humid like crazy every day i'm walking my dog in the summer you know and um i i I, you know i have conversations with my dog i'm like god damn it if it wasn't for your mama i'd be living in san francisco right now what the hell's wrong with me yeah yeah where are you are you in south florida uh, up from Fort Lauderdale, Miami, A uh, little beach town called uh, I, I grew Fitch, up in the yeah,
2: Florida. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I, spent, yeah. I I spent
1: North of that.
2: I spent tons of time uh, in, in like Hollywood, Florida. You know, I used to be a competitive oh, yeah. swimmer, so I was always at I was always at the swimming hall of fame in Fort Lauderdale. I, I, I love it down there. But you're right, the humidity oh, yeah. is brutal. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you.
1: Especially you know, I'm not I'm I'm not a sleek, you know, feline actor. Um, I'm more of a chunky monkey and it's hard in the summer here. It is hard, Um, but you know, it's it's the way it is. Eat an apple, Jamie. What's wrong with you? Um, you want to, (laughs) I tell you after being sick, man, I I think I lost about 15 pounds that week. Just being sick. I couldn't eat anything. I was just, Oh, terrible
2: terrible. My, my, my father just had COVID. My dad's going to all the food places uh, that I went to and Andy Baker's eating food right now because he said that he's, you know, he lost about 15 pounds. He just had COVID. So that, that, that's the one silver lining
1: of, of getting these viruses, I guess. I uh, guess. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. I'll tell you what. It was funny. We uh, Ever since I got better from being sick, that mask has been back on. I don't, you know, I don't see anything wrong with the mask. Everybody was bitching down here about the mask. So I'm like, I don't have to shave today? Great. Give me that mask. Um, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Another five minutes of my day I just earned back. Um, yeah, I have. And and, and the whole social distance, not a problem. Not a problem. You're standing too close to me. Well, to, to be, be honest,
2: right. in, in New York, you're forced to be on top of people so much. You're on the sub- Like, I don't know how they're right. going to keep those subways <laughs> You know, like, but I, I can't tell you how many times I've been on a train and you are so pushed up against a thousand other people, you know, so right. I, yeah you know, keeping six feet apart is not a problem for me. <laughs> and especially <laughs> in Southern California, you at least have the openness and, you know, I, I've actually never, uh, tomorrow night I have to go from my apartment and I'm going to the Holly Shorts Film Festival, which is a great short okay. film festival. And it's going to be the first time, because I don't feel like, I, I, it's at the TCL Grumman's Theater. I don't have to, nice. I, if you park down there, it's like $45. But I can actually take the right. subway for the first time right from my apartment down there. So I'm curious to see the L.A. subway experience.
1: Yeah, I've never been on the L.A. subway. I, you know, it was, I lived in Southern California for years before I even heard there was one. I had no idea. No idea. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, man, oh, that's a good idea. They need one. You know, I've driven yeah, in four yeah,
2: under I mean, one hundred one. New York would be crippled. Jesus, New York would absolutely be crippled without one. So I, I know. I mean, I, there's cost of building one that's going to go out to Santa Monica, but I think the people of Santa Monica don't want that. They don't want the tourism coming from, you know, the rest of LA to get out to the beach. They like being excluded right. there. <laughs>
1: absolutely. Well, it's it's funny, and people, you know, they're used to what they are growing up. My my wife, Floridian, you know her her. All born and raised here. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of, uh, you know, upper middle class. And they they that's how they grew up. And, you know, they kind of turned their nose up at buses a little bit, the whole concept. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, we go to Disney World, they know that bus schedule like a, you know, a German knows the metro schedule. I'm amazed. Yeah. They're like, oh, no, the bus will be here in three minutes. And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh.
2: So the buses aren't so bad, yeah, Disney, are they? <laughs> Disney, the Disney fanatics, it's a different world. You know, my my cousin oh, takes his yeah. kids to Disney three, three times a year. I finally just went to dis. I, I went to Disney World in Florida as a kid, but I, I just went to the one in Anaheim for the first time. And uh, oh, they yeah, right. it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's. I thought it was going to be like it a was state fair awesome. or
1: something. First time I went, and I, I was. You know what? I showed up. We, went to the resort. we stayed at the resort, and they're like, oh, right this way, Mr. Rocks. And they're, you know, carrying my bag and all that. And I'm like, yo, okay, I'm a Disney
2: fan now. Sign me up. $40 yeah. a hamburger, not a problem. Let's do it. Yeah, that was my, you know? that, that was my biggest complaint was we, we got, you know, my friend and my friend works for Hulu. And uh, mm-hmm. she's like, I have two tickets for Disney to go if you just want to go. I said, sure, we'll do that. Now, even with going to Disney with the free pass, we had a great time, don't get me wrong. But if you really want to see the rides the right way and get on enough, you have to get the Fast Pass. So I, I right. went with my girlfriend. We paid the $20 each for the Fast Pass. And then if you want to do the Star Wars ride, which is the reason why most people go, you know, it's, it's amazing, <laughs> right. but you have to pay another $20 to get on that. So we did that. And then, with you know, we got, we went to, we're in Star Wars land, and you're, we were like, we, we're starving. We have to get something to eat. So they have this thing called the Ronto Wrap. It's, you know, based off Star Wars lore. It says it's a sausage. Right. It's, a, it's a it's a great pork sausage, two fillets of pork on top, uh, you know, coleslaw, whatever. I was like, all right, this sounds good. It was a hot dog on a pita. And it cost us $43 for the two of those. And exactly. I was like, That's I was nasty. so mad. I, I said, you know, hey, we're not doing this again. She was, I mean, we were joking about it the entire day.
1: Oh, that's funny. That is funny. Yeah.
2: It happens,
1: man. It happens. We, you know, that's how I knew the pandemic was serious. We, um, me and my wife's been together. We've been a couple for, for, you know, a decade, but years and years and years, we finally, her, uh, nice. her Italian mama beat us down and said, no, you guys need to get married. You already got a house. You got a dog. You got, you got to get married. So, you know, we got married sorry, sorry. and, um, yeah, you know, we kind of did it backwards, but um, no kids yet, no kids, but, um, you know, we were we went up, we didn't go on a, hun- on a honeymoon, because so we, we can't take the time to do that, but, you know, we got Disney Pass, so you know, we can go anytime we want to, so we said, oh, yeah, let's go up to Disney for a couple of days after all the bullshit of the wedding and you know, all the stress of that, and uh, yeah. so we're sitting in this fancy restaurant, one of these Japanese steakhouse, you know, where they cut up the onion and make a volcano on your table and all that, Oh okay, okay, so we're Yeah. Sit- sure, sure. yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we're sitting there, and we're eating, and I don't use a cell phone, not because I'm cool or anything. It's just because I'm cheap. My wife has one. What the hell do I need to pay for one for? You know, I got a voicemail, and um, yeah, so we're sitting there at dinner, and everybody's phones, it looked like a movie. Everybody's phones were going off, and I, you know, I kind of motioned over to my wife. I'm like, what the hell's going on? You know, are the missiles flying? What's, what's happening? She's like, Disney just announced they're closing the park. And I'm like, Disney's giving up on forty five dollars hamburgers. This is serious. <laughs> if Disney's walking wow. away from that kind of money, we got to get the hell out of here. And so we did. <laughs> <laughs> Came home, <laughs> but that's how wow. I knew. And, and that, that, that disney did right. that go was what, away.
2: March, fifteenth of
1: twenty twenty. Yeah, absolutely. We we, married, we were married like six week or
2: six days or something like
1: that. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> um,
2: I, I we got uh, home, You I know, went with a friend. I went to... So one of the famous pizza places in New York is John's O'Bleeker. I love it. Right. I was at John's O'Bleeker with my friends, and then I left. And that's when the new Ben Affleck movie came out, The Way Back. And hmm. it's directed by Gavin O'Connor. I was so desperate to go see that movie. I just... I, I really like Gavin O'Connor. He directed that movie Warrior, too. I thought Warrior was just a great movie. Oh, yeah. And... I ran from the pizza place to get to the movie theater, and it was like 8.05, and I had the AMC Stubbs Pass, and because I got there after 8, I couldn't use my Stubbs Pass to see the movie,
3: mm. and I wasn't
2: able to see it. So I, I took the subway home in defeat. I think this was March 15th. The next day was Monday, March 16th, and I woke up to the world being shut down. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. It
1: was crazy because nobody knew, you know, nobody, I didn't see it coming. And matter of fact, at our wedding, uh, one of my best friends came to the wedding as far as I was high school with her and her husband, or her and her daughter, I should say. And, um, you know, we were kind of joking. There were some people at the, at the wedding reception that were real, you know, serious and uh, real worried. And we were kind of behind their back. We were being very cavalier, kind of joking around about sure. the whole thing. And um, a week later, man, I'm, I'm, Doing patrols around my property with the machete and my my dog, <laughs> you know, worrying about yeah. the mutant Mad Max mutants coming to take my toilet paper.
3: Well,
2: dude, um, I, I, was in, I was in New York. I saw. I remember you know, going to Ground the, Zero. Store. I, I'm not exaggerating. You saw people wearing scuba tanks in the grocery store. You saw people wow. fully saran wrapped. You know, you thought it was War of the Worlds, and there was a you know a, a A gas cloud coming through. You know, truly, nobody knew what was going on. I had a roommate at the time in the city who was in his room watching the news every day. I was watching him kind of go through this, like, manic episode. He went out one day to Trader Joe's. He spent $800 on groceries, filled up the entire refrigerator. That's a lot of Trader Joe's. And then the next day, went home. And left all that stuff there. It was just like, it was uh, the Wild West for a little bit. And, you know, the I, I, I took a subway. Actually, I when I got to Grand Through SAG, I bought my first camera. And I was so excited to run downtown and get the camera. The only store right. that was open that wasn't like an emergency grocery store or a hospital was b and H. I don't know how they worked. I mean, I, I guess I do know how they worked it out. But they stayed open. And I took the subway down to Times Square from my apartment on the Upper West Side. There was not a single person walking around the streets. It was like the movie I Am Legends. I was wearing wow. uh, this special, like vest. I had gloves. I had three masks on. I didn't know what was going on. I was just trying to stay safe, but I didn't want to wait for the camera to come through UP, for, from UPS. I wanted to go get it right. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Oh, I understand, man. I understand. Yeah, it was crazy. It was, you know, it was, it was weird. And I'll tell you, we we saw about New York was on the news down here. And it was crazy. They're like, well, here's another, uh, we have to bring in these cooling uh, tractor trailers, you know, these ice tra- trailers to uh, for the bot. I mean, it was, it was apocalyptic. So and, cause, you know, yeah. the TV kind of sensationalized stuff. But, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. Everybody knows that, but I mean, I'm like, if this is sensationalized, it's still really bad because this is horrible. Yeah. Um, you know it. it yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. But um, I hope all yeah, your people, yeah. all your tribe yeah, and family and everybody uh,
2: came through okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for the most, part, I mean, I, I yeah. I, you know, I, I did lose some friends during the pandemic, and I had some friends mm. who I uh, who, who lost family members directly. Right. I wasn't. I, I was fortunate enough that no one passed away from from covid in my direct family but i had a 96 year old grandmother at the time and i mm. wanted to see her she was ill and for a long time it was this i i was debating with myself it's like i want to go see her and say hi but if i were to get her sick without knowing that i'm sick oh, you would yeah. feel you would feel horrible um but i, I was Absolutely. able to See her, and I—I I lost her that year in November. But she—it mm, was mostly so natural causes. Well, she—listen, she was 96 years old. She lived a long, beautiful life, and I'm just grateful that I was—I was, I was uh, to be part of it. So, you know, I—I right. I, I miss her dearly. But she—she she, at 96, you can't really scoff at that. So,
1: wow, crazy, crazy. Well, Brett, oh man. The the hour has went by. It's coming gone. My life's been blinking. But you're fascinating to talk to you. I could totally do one of those Joe Rogan three hour podcasts with you. You're just a fascinating person. I tell you what, we'll, you know? we'll, we'll we'll do it one day. We'll, we'll we'll sit down and we'll do the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good to me. Um, very cool. Keep doing what you're doing. You're real good at it. The Andy Baker tape, phenomenal. I want everybody to get out there, watch it, watch it this week, man. It's um You're gonna dig it. You're gonna dig it. I'm telling you, Um, just out of the park. All the everything about this film. I really, really liked it.
2: Um, Thank you you so much. I really really appreciate that, and and I really had a great time talking to you today. So thank you for having me on.
1: Oh, anytime, man. Anytime. I can't wait till you're on again. Hey, and like I said, keep doing it, man. We I love your work. I can't wait to see more. Can't wait to see more.
2: Thank you. I I really appreciate, it, and, and I will.
1: You'll you'll see something from me soon. Awesome, awesome. Well, folks, that's going to wrap it up for us today. It's uh, Mr. Brett Latta, uh, Sashbian Extraordinary filmmaker extraordinaire. Um, the Andy Baker tape. You got to see it. As I said, we have links up. We're going to convert this show now to a podcast. That's when we add and clean and eat little thing up or whatever, and we uh, we add the commercials and all that in. Um, oh, I have a post it here. Um, if you want to listen to all of my podcasts, we do them a couple times a week, um, ad free without the commercials. Well, you got to be a VIP. You got to get into the VIP room, man. And you can do that on my site. It's uh, that's the fancy way of uh, for my Patreon. Uh, I want to thank all the patrons. Uh, you know, you get all you get all kinds of stuff when you're on the Patreon. But uh, one of the everybody gets is the, the um, uh, all the podcasts commercial free. So so there's that, or you can listen to them with the commercials. You know. It's your choice. We appreciate it either way. Um, very, very cool. We will be back tomorrow. We've got another fantastic filmmaker on tomorrow. New, uh, very funny movie um, called uh, Movers Ultimate. I watched this movie. I was laughing my ass off. If you've ever dealt with the public, folks, uh, you will like and understand a lot of the humor in the movie tomorrow. Movers Ultimate coming up tomorrow but today we're focused on the Andy Baker tape it's one of my favorites of the year I'm telling you you got to see it okay folks we will see you tomorrow have a good one hey and remember the world still is a little bit of a weird place be nice when you're out okay um if you got to wait a little extra in line or something or you know the, the waitress spends another minute bringing your cup of coffee to you you know it's a crazy world right now if that's the worst thing happening to you today, you're doing good. So, you know, be nice, keep your patience, and uh, just be cool. How about that? You know, if we're all cool, the world will be a better place. If you look at all the shit that ha- that's happening, it's because it's a- from people who aren't being cool, you know. And, you know, if you're a dictator, don't invade a country. How about that? You know, just be cool. Okay,
0: we'll see you next time. Have a good one, everybody. Bye. This has been Pop Art Painter Jamie Rocks' Pop Rocks Radio Talk Show. It has been executive produced by Jamie Rocks, recorded at his studio in Deerfield Beach in South Florida. All rights reserved by Pop Rocks Limited for broadcast on Blog Talk Radio. Tänä Oli, Pop Rocks Radio. Estás escuchando Jamie Rocks de Pop Rocks Radio. Manténganse al tanto.
1: Hey, the Harry Hicks from uh, or Okneel is not Pop Rocks Radio made Jamie Rocks.
0: Lock Talk Radio. Step into the world of power, loyalty